Welcome to the Pokey London Flat series with me, Afro7. Today I've got a very, very special guest in the house. It's Michael, but it's special because he's actually here live in person. So we're not recording over the phone as we ordinarily do. Um, this is a very special recording because the elections are, what, next week? Yes, next and, week. And uh, we just wanted to get in a special episode, a special edition for you guys to lead into the elections. So, Michael. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Hello, listeners. Uh, I'm sure we had one this year, so it's no longer Happy New Year. But uh, happy Valentine's Day for, for next, <laughs> next week for those of you that have, uh, obviously, been in a good, stable relationship. Do you have yes. the range for Valentine's, Michael? No, no, no. Oh, my only advice is just be faithful. One man, one woman, or one man, one man, one woman, one woman. That's but right. But whatever the permutation, just be, be faithful. That's it. I agree. I agree. At least if you can't be faithful, eh, just be honest with your partner so they know exactly what to expect. No, there, there's no... If <laughs> be faithful. What do you mean be honest? So. Because some people don't, don't have the natural disposition to be faithful. Some people are like uh, polygamists by nature. Is that right? Well, yeah. I'd encourage you to desist from such uh, <laughs> behavior. Just try, try and be faithful. <laughs> yeah. Yes, be faithful to your one partner or your many partners. Just make sure they know what the deal is. That's, that's my angle. So welcome, Michael. It's very nice to have you here in person. Oh, thank you very much, Tola. Thank you. You're welcome. And listeners would like to know this is only the third time I'm sitting down to discuss with Michael. Imagine that. We've been doing this for, what, two years? And yes, this is it's the third time. Yes. Yes. Oh. The first time I ran into Michael was a deliberate meeting. We spoke pre the 2015 elections, and I will admit that he bested me in that debate. Oh, yes. It was upline somewhere, yes. He, he's yes. online somewhere, so he definitely bested me in that debate. Um, the second time, we had lunch. Yes. Uh, and today is officially the third meeting, so yes, it's right. nice. I still remember that first debate at the Royal African Society. That's right, that's right. The whole crowd was against Jonathan. I remember I got home that night, and even I was thinking that, is it... Is it me that is not seeing something? Maybe this Buhari is the Messiah because how can everybody in this room be saying it and it's just me? So but, I mean, at but least I'm thankful that finally I, I've been proven right. I mean, at least that recollection helps you to know that it wasn't uh, strictly an ethnocentric decision. That there were many people from different backgrounds in the room, and you were in the definite minority vis-a-vis yeah. who the president should be. So yes. I'm, I'm happy you at least remember that and you oh, know and understand shocked. that. <laughs> yes, he was in a minority. It was <laughs> I was thinking, is, is it? This, are we looking at the same Buhari, or is there another Buhari everybody's looking at? Because what were people seeing that I, I couldn't? See? Even even till now, I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, he was good that day. I think uh, if Jonathan had had somebody like Michael on his team, he might have won the elections. You know, so I mean, I'll, I'll admit he bested me uh, during that debate. Oh yes, well, that, that was a th thank you for the admission. It's not hard for me to admit the truth. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't suffer from from the condition a lot of people suffer from. But what is true is true to no, me. But, but, but you APC people, even now, you say, if I could do what I could do again... Wait, hold on. Who is, who is the APC people? Okay, you you former Buhari supporters who say, oh, Buhari has, has behaved badly, but if we could do it again, um, we will still support... Uh, um, I think I think my uh, disposition, like I've said many, many, many times, is that the Jonathan government has failed and we needed something different. And um, I supported Atiku in the primaries, but Bahari was who the APC presented. And by my reasoning then, hmm. he couldn't have been worse than Jonathan. Well, I suppose the question is, if, with what you know now, mm. if we went back to 2015 and they put Jonathan and Buhari in front of you... No, I support Jonathan. Oh, without a doubt. Praise the Lord. If, praise the Lord. with what I know now today, 
and the four years of the Buhari government against the four years of the Jonathan government, I will support Jonathan without doubt. That that that's an easy decision to make. But, right? but my own view is, you don't even you didn't even need to know these four years. Buhari's history alone would well, not qualify I, I mean, him for I class think, prefect. I think I think given how I felt at the time, and yeah. I spoke to Michael prior to us recording, I was getting everyday messages from soldiers on the front line about the unavailability of basic equipment. Soldiers are having to buy their own rifle cleaning oil, bombs going off every week in Abuja, you know, and, and corruption cases and scandals breaking here and there. Yeah, I was panicked about the state of the country. I was desperate. I thought that the country was really on the brink. So for me, that was the decision that led me supporting the APC. Um, I think, and also Jonathan's lack of communication with Nigerians at the time was a concern to me. I didn't know we'd get a president that'd be even, <laughs> even worse, even worse in that respect, right? <laughs> so knowing what I know today, Buhari versus Jonathan, I would definitely support Jonathan. Oh, well, yeah. we, we praise the Lord for one, when one sinner comes home, as the Holy Book says, oh, we, should, we should rejoice. Up. So one, one sinner has come oh, home. Oh, shut up. We don't need to win the um, others. But I mean, I, I think that the Nigerian people are the losers ultimately in all this. I didn't think we've had a president that has really been deserving of our energy, of our verve, of our creativity. Unfortunately for us, we've had successive presidents that have sought to contain us, reduce us, you know, so that's that's a point for me to be made. But I think all in all, when you compare Jonathan with Buhari, I think most reasonable, reasonable people would certainly choose a uh, Jonathan over. Yes, no, I, th I think even, even Buhari would even probably vote Jonathan if they could do it again, because <laughs> I don't think even he foresaw the problems coming. Oh, I mean, there's one thing seeing the problems, and there's another thing having ideas and solutions as to how to tackle the problems, right? Yes. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the main issues. But anyway, let's talk about the upcoming elections. Um, oh. they're around the corner, next week, uh, Saturday, as I said. Um, I had an invitation to go somewhere on Saturday, and then I realized it was election day. I was like, ah, no, I'm going to be on Twitter all day. My TV will be on. I'm going to be glued. I'm going to yeah. order Chinese, sit right there on my orange sofa, and be glued to the TV. I'm not answering my phone. Yes. I'm just, you know. But the big screen TV. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I really, it's not big screen. It's no, only that, 43 that's inches. That's kind of corruption Buhari is talking about. <laughs> You see the TV in this house. It's only 43 inches, by the Even way. It looks really small. Buhari's TV in that house in Dara is like... He handmade it. Yeah. <laughs> he made it by hand. His TV is like 10 times the size of that Buhari's TV. Oh, my Lord. So, yeah, Michael, so the elections are coming up next week. What are your thoughts? I mean, we've had a long time to discuss this prior to the podcast, but I want to know what you're thinking, what your fears are, what your hopes are. And where you see the trouble spots, so to speak, political trouble spots, not in terms of violence, but political trouble spots. Well, my what I'm sincerely hoping is that the elections are peaceful because, first of all, we need Nigerians to be alive before we get even talk of uh, building a country. My main worry is the rhetoric coming, especially from Buhari's camp, the likes of Erufai, who are talking about body bags. Uh, are a bit disturbing because they suggest that the elections might not be peaceful. So that that, that is my number one fear. I'm hoping that uh, every sense, common sense prevails and nobody puts anybody's life in danger. Uh, the other issue is obviously the United States, uh, Britain, and the EU have issued a statement calling on Buhari's government and his official and the officials to not take uh, partisan sides or be partisan with with the elections so i'm hoping everybody gets the message now in terms of the trouble spots uh, 
obviously uh, Kaduna is one state I'm worried about. Lagos is another state because first of all Kaduna is fighting the battle of his life in Lagos. That is the headquarters of uh, Tinubu FC. So Tinubu obviously has an interest in local shore. Sorry, ah. football. Manchester United is playing, so I'm trying to keep an eye on it. <laughs> Go oh, on. I see. Yes, so uh, Lagos is one state where uh, Tinubu is desperate. In Kwara, you have Saraki fighting the battle of his life there because I, I, Buhari is desperate to take Kwara just to teach Saraki a lesson. So that's another spot. Then River State, where as somebody somebody on Twitter calls him Sister Michi, where uh, Michi is also fighting his battle with Wike. I know the APC has no candidates there as we speak, but the suspicion is they might back one of the other third-party candidates and try to cause chaos because the overall strategy of the APC is to reduce voter turnout. So the more trouble you cause, the more disruption there is, the better chances that uh, Buhari has of winning the election. That's right. That's right. Um, so... If I mean, because I'm hearing a lot of reports about troubles with PVC collections and things of that nature. This troubles me because I feel like politicians have mapped out a strategy whereby yes. PVCs that weren't given to the rightful owners will be used to disturb these elections. Yes. The problem with that is it's much harder to prove that it yes. was rigged. Yes. Do you understand? So how do you think this will affect voter turnouts? Because if, if large swathes of people can't collect their PVCs, that tells them only one thing, that the election is rigged already. Well, yes. So the you, we saw what happened in Oshun, where the APC actually initially lost. And they, they then decided that the approach was to put thugs, when they had the rerun, they put thugs along the streets to prevent PDP for supporters from coming out. And that's what they're trying to do with the PVCs on a, on a grand scale. All these uh, missing PVCs left, right and centre. The strategy, obviously, is to deter uh, younger people or people who they perceive might be against Buhari from having access to their PVCs. Will it work? Well, the jury's still out. But I know, for example, there seems to be no issues with collecting PVCs up, up north. But... Uh, in the past, I would have said that might favour the APC, but looking at the, the crowds that Atiku is pulling, it seems uh, the North could go, uh, is, is, is a, for the first time, the North is actually a battleground region. Mm. But in the southwest, where there's a lot of noise as well, I suspect maybe that plays into Tinubu's hands. I mean, the southwest, um, Oshun, you saw what happened in the elections, like you previously said. AKT is up in the air as well, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, Lagos, Lagos is a purple state. For yeah. all intents and purposes, Lagos is a purple state. Um, and what will prove victorious for the APC is voter apathy. Yes. You know, if there is a large turnout in Lagos, it means only one thing. The incumbent is going to be voted out. Yes. You know, so you have bellwether states. Lagos, Kano, Kaduna, Benue, Anambra. And even Abia. Yeah. These to me are the bellwether states. If the turnout in these states is larger than predicted, it means that Bahari is going to lose. Yes. So mm -hmm. you don't want those numbers. And that's where the violent messaging also helps because many of the those uh, swing states, many especially states up north and in Lagos, you have a large minority block who vote. 
Now, if there's a lot of talk about violence, what many of them tend to do, especially the Igbos, is they just go home. Mm. So during elections, they just go to the east. Mm. But if you're registered to vote in, I don't know, Etiosa, mm. and then you decide to run home, it means you're not going to vote. You can't vote, yes. yes. It means you can't vote on the day of the election. So a lot of the rhetoric about violence as well is to send a message that, look, you guys need to go home and not participate in the elections. Mm. So these are the worries that Tiku will, 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 will have. Because if, if, those, if those minorities don't come out in Lagos, or if the Igbos, uh, that, that, that's where Nandi Kanu's rhetoric too comes in. If he's telling Igbos not to vote, and then Igbos are also being driven out of uh, Lagos and Kano because of fear of violence, then he makes Artiku's, uh, Artiku's job uh, much more harder. difficult. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to be honest with you, I mean, I think Nandi Kanu as a factor has been greatly reduced. I mean, I think his, his sector running over the elections would have been much different had he not run had uh, Operation Python Dance not taken place. Yeah. It might have held more sway if it was the NMD Kanu of 2016, so to say. So he might have had more you know, leverage to persuade people to go his way. But I think given what he's saying, for the first time, and I'm so glad about this, for the first time we have a, we have a good chance that an Igbo candidate will be sworn in as a number two citizen of the country. I mean, I think what Ekweme held held the yeah. seat before as vice president. Yes, yes, yes. but since since nineteen ninety nine, we have not had this, and I think that it behooves a lot of people, not just Igbo people, people who are interested in the country continuing as a singular entity, yeah. to look at this and see this as justice. I know it's it's a lot to say because ultimately elections are decided on whoever the voter prefers, but to me, it's justice. Getting a candidate from the southeast that has a more than good chance of winning that seat states to me that we are ready to finally start confronting some of the evils of the civil war. Some of the wounds that are still festering post the civil war might have a chance to close. And if I were an Igbo person, I mean, I won't deign to condescend to an Igbo person and someone has to vote. But if I were an Igbo person, I will certainly make sure that my vote is registered on that day. So to now consider what Kanu is saying versus the reality on ground, I'm not sure he will find much resonance. I'm hoping he won't find much resonance. Well, the well, you're obviously hopeful. I'm, I'm not so because the average Igbo person who was born maybe within the last 30, 40 years has seen how Nigeria has not been fair to them. That's right. And Unamji is pre preaching a message that actually hits home. So for those people, even yes, Nandi Kano has a large following, but even if only a quarter of his followers obey him, that already is a victory no, for him. I mean, Buhari. I don't, a quarter. So his his followership is largely based in Abia, yes. right? Abia has what Ikweazo was a governor running yes. under the PDP ticket. Yes, PDP, yes. So even if it's only... Um, High service, or is it eye service? Eye service, yes. You know, being Yoruba, I ne I'm never certain of which way to pronounce yes, it. Yes, you say high service or eye service. But <laughs> even if it's only eye service, the governor of Abia cannot come out and be anti-PDP because that's his party. Yes. Do you understand? So I feel that although Namdi Kano retains a semblance of influence in Abia, it is greatly reduced because the fellow ran away 
And yeah. then now he's coming to preach a message that favors, blatantly favors the incumbent. So I'm hoping that people can see through the charade. Well, well that's what uh, he's always done. He's never advocated for elections. He's always, he's always promoted apathy or abstaining for Igbos, abstention for Igbos. Well, the, the point is, if you look at the 2015 election results, you see that Jonathan won the southeast, but he didn't win it by a high enough margin. So what Buhari's camp is interested in, in is at least keeping... Suppressing the tunnel. Yes, the numbers there. If, 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 if Atiku only wins at the numbers that Jonathan won uh, in 2015, then Atiku is already facing difficulty. Mm. So every, every little uh, bit helps, as they say. So Namdi Kano's message, even if he reaches just 10% of his followers, that is good news for Buhari. Then you have uh, Father Umbakatu, who's also yes, but I mean, spreading his own. So they just need various people to just not push the vote out. Okay, let's, let's assume you're right. But remember that Buhari is incumbent. And for the incumbent, the turnout the second go-around is always lower than the first time. Yes. So in Buhari's stronghold, he's also going to suffer from apathy as well. Yes. Right? So the best somebody who hopes for a change in government could think is, okay, fine. Whatever apathy... Uh, uh, Atiku suffers in the southeast, which should be ideally his stronghold because the southeast tends to uh, go with the PDP as of the south south. Yeah, that will be countered by apathy in the northwest in particular. Yes. The northeast, I expect, should be a strong turnout for Atiku. I'm hoping at least Adamawa uh, uh, Taraba should turn out strongly for Atiku, right? So, I'm hoping that. The turnout in the southwest, if it's depressed, is cancelled by the turnout in the northwest, if it's also depressed, right? Well, the well, yeah, that's what that's what we're hoping. But if you, I'm sure you saw the videos, Buhari supporters are very fanatical, so I suspect that those people are still going to keep coming. And then you saw what the Kano governor Ganduja did, where they brought in, I think, three governors from Niger Republic to take part in the election rally. Mm. So it seems to me that they're also probably looking to get some numbers from there and then the northeast because uh, buhari is unique in the sense that he's half northwest half northeast because mm. his his mother's side is kanuri so just as uh, and his wife is also from adamawa state mm. and the family is very influential there then you have strong people in adamawa like uh, buba marwa who are also mm. in uh, buhari's camp so I, I think it'd be very i i don't know if atiko will win the northeast or even if he does it'd be by a very slim margin Mm. So I think overall, uh, Buhari still has the, will probably win win the northeast and northwest. Oh wow! Yes. So the the main issue is just um, maybe middle belt and what he the needs southwest. is yes middle belt southwest and he needs a good turnout from the south south and southeast. Mm. If he cannot get those, then I think he's in trouble. Mm. So I mean, I see the middle belt falling for the PDP. Um, yes. So we're talking Benue. We're talking uh, Pato. Yes. Quara. Uh, Kogi. Kogi. Kogi might be a, a, a bit of a tussle, but given that the government has been, the governor has been so woeful, yeah. that might help the PDP in some ways. Um, the southwest, I think, is a true purple region. Um, so this is how I see it. I see Lagos, very tight race falling for Bahari. I see Ogun, very tight race falling for Bahari. I see Ekiti, very tight race falling for Bahari. Oshun, and Oshun Oyo, I'm not sure about. Even, even uh, to be honest, I, I, I think I, I think we'll be surprised. I think Atiku might even win Lagos. 
That's what I suspect. That would make me stupendously happy. <laughs> that would make but me stupendously I, I, happy. I think because I, I generally think it'd be very, very tight in the South Because he's quite popular in yes. Lagos. Yes. You know, no, it, yeah, even amongst the business community. Yeah. yeah. And just generally in the Southwest, he's not... Uh, He's not persona non grata. That's so, correct. So I, th- I think he'll do very well. Whether he, I, I genuinely think he can even win the Southwest, mm. but it, it depends on uh, a variety of other factors. With the middle belt, the strange thing is with all the uh, IDPs through the uh, herdsmen clashes and all that, mm. all those have helped Buhari's cause because when you're not settled and you're an IDP in a camp, the last thing you're thinking about is, where's my PVC to vote? So... I suspect that many of these issues in the middle belt might inadvertently help Buhari's case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people will not be around. Because many, many villages are literally empty because people have left. What was the margin of victory the last time? I think it was a million or two million votes. Uh, So if you think of all the indigent Nigerians moving from one state to the other who are unsettled, I think, I mean, uh, the last article I read in the New York Times states that over two million people have been rendered homeless as a result of the the war. So you're talking about the margin of of victory for Bahari the last time. The equivalent is now homeless and displaced. I think it was about 2.7 million or something. So, Mm. So that number and the other thing is in those IDP camps like they did in 2015, one big man was able to just collect everybody's PVCs and say, was give them money and collect their PVCs. So only God knows who has collected the PVCs of mm. all these people in camps. Mm, mm. So if, if they are on Buhari's side, they will just vote in block. If they are on Atibu's side, they vote in block. So Okay, thinking, I mean, we've tried to analyze the regions, but how do you feel the election is going to turn out? From what you know, from what you've gauged as far, you, I mean, you just came back from Nige. Yes. So speaking to your friends and people of influence in your circle, because let me tell you, Michael's from the 1%. <laughs> so, so he knows big people. <laughs> he knows big people. I, I'm poor. As I was saying, I went to school on he scholarship. Went, he went to so. Corona. So, uh, he lives in Ikoi. So, <laughs> you know the level of guy you're dealing scholarship. <laughs> so, so what were you able to gauge? What was the temperature? from your visits and the people you were able to speak with, how do they feel about these upcoming elections? Well, it, it was interesting because I, uh, on the Sunday, as you do, I went to church and I got to meet some quite senior, influential... Not as I do. I don't yes. go to church. Oh, yes. Sorry. Godless. There are godless people amongst <laughs> Imagine. us. Imagine. We pray for your soul every Amen. every day. Yes. Amen. Obviously, the day you decide to run for office now, you, you tie some I'll stuff I'll be in around. the mosque. <laughs> <laughs> you now change your name to Elijah. <laughs> Yes, so uh, from speaking to some quite uh, senior religious leaders, I I happened to just go to church and they're having a meeting that day. So a few people were there and I know some of them. Uh, It's it's very interesting because many of them are disappointed in Osibanjo. Osimbajo, I'm from Edo State. We don't, we don't. Yes. So many of them are disappointed in him. But I can also sense that there's that, uh, if you're not Pentecostal, you don't understand that mindset, that uh, touch not my anointed mindset. Mm. So a lot of them still feel as if he's there because God has put him there for a purpose. So who are we to condemn him? So based on that, I sense that uh, the Christian community is not, I mean, the Christian community, community down south is not as vocal against Buhari and Oshibanjo as they should. So Mm. I sense that he might still win the Southern Christian vote. Mm. Now, when it comes to people in business, from speaking to a variety of people, 
the, as they call them, the 1%, I get the impression that they are content with a Buhari presidency because what's happened is a lot of the middle class, the ones who are not making money have run from the country. Mm-hmm. So what you have now are the really struggling lower middle classes and poor and the very rich. The very rich in Nigeria have a way of navigating even the most inept governments mm-hmm. to make their money. So I think they now understand how Buhari's mind works and they are making billions from Buhari's uh, dodgy policies. So I don't think they are bothered either way, whether he wins or loses. So my worry is if if the moneyed class are not angry enough to put their money behind Atiku or put the money behind the opposition, then my rational mind leans towards maybe a very cr- close race, but I can generally see either Buhari or Atiku winning. I want... That's not saying much. Yes. Either Buhari <laughs> or Atiku winning. No, no. <laughs> well... Kingsley Morgan or even Obi is equally my win. Oh, but, come on. <laughs> no, but I, I will obviously... Prefer, I think if the choice was between Atiku or Buhari, I'll go with Atiku. And I can see a, a path to Atiku winning, but my genuine fear, even from speaking to various uh, other sources, they all seem to be saying they think Buhari will 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 win. So it's it's very close. It's, it's okay. Okay, if I were to give a a gut a gut feeling, I would say it'll be close. Mm. But I I think I think Atiku might just win it, but I won't be surprised if Buhari does. Okay, so let me say, what I want and what I think will happen are two totally different things. I want an Atiku victory. Right? I yep. want an Atiku victory because I think when a government has failed, it behooves us as Nigerians to kick them out. So I would like an Atiku victory. I like a business-friendly president because yep. I think the federal government is too involved in too many things and we need a government that understands the limits of its own power. Right? But I fear, and I was privy to some things at work that also reinforce this fear that Buhari might just eke out a victory. I mean... Yep. The entire apparatus of the election is in his supporters' hands. You have INEC, you have the army, you have the police, you have the sort of uh, musical chairs that's been played out uh, with posting police, uh, what are they called, IGs? Yes, uh, the uh, friendly com- IGs, commis- commissioners, of, commissioners police. of police in particular states that are friendly to particular politicians. I don't think these things are by accident, right? They're to ensure uh, an electoral victory. Um, I think a lot of politicians have realized the limits of rigging. I don't doubt that there will be rigging, yeah. but I think a lot of them have realized the limits of rigging. So now they're reliant on intimidation, yeah. apathy, and just the general feel that Nigerians have that the election has been rigged anyway, so their votes will make a difference. I think a lot of people are relying on that sentiment being the order of the day. Um, so unfortunately, I feel like we're going to be saddled with another Buhari term. And this breaks my heart to say... But from my analyses, that's the conclusion that I have. Well, the reason why my suspicion is that Atiku will win is because Buhari is, is a very strange character in the sense that everything that happens to him has happened before. He's literally the, the perfect history book. You can actually look at his mm. past mm. and guess what's going to happen in the future, what he's going to do in the future. And the one thing I remember reading about that 1985 coup was how literally Buhari did not even see it coming. Like literally mm-hmm. everybody in his camp 
from his commander brigade of guards, the chief of army staff, everybody just turned. It was just him and Idiabo. Idiabo was actually in Saudi Arabia. And literally everybody just turned and we already not see it coming. Mm. And my suspicion is, with the statements the US government and the British government have given, combined with Babasan Jordanjuma, Babangida, and all the other senior generals saying the same thing, my, my genuine suspicion is that there will be another, there will be a, a political version of 1985 where Buhari will wake up and you'll be surprised that even Tinubu, Abakiri, and Co. would just negotiate yes, with the other was, side. That was under military dispensation. Do you think that he hasn't learned the lessons from then? Well, I he's, mean, he's done uh, everything again. He did everything he did then, true, so I don't true, think true, he's learned true, anything. True. But I think that he's surrounded by people who have made the provisions to ensure that that kind of surprise does not take place again. I mean, you, they've moved the commissioner from Lagos that was formerly Tinubu's uh, CSO. Yeah. They've moved him to Kwara to ensure a victory in Kwara. They were going to post him in Lagos until Abuja objected. They moved him to Kwara. The, the, the fellow in Lagos, though... I mean, by, by things that I've read, is not a Tinubu man. He, he appears to favor the APC. So there are things that have been put in place that could not have been put in place in 1985. Well, but but the, the, the same thing happened because we're talking of a military government where he even had more power. Mm. So the reason why Buhari was shocked in 1985 was because everybody around him was loyal to him. I mean, even Dasuki, who was part of the uh, plot, plotting group, Sambo Dasiko is Buhari's uh, in-law. Maman Daura, uh, a Kabao member, is married to uh, Sambo Dasiki's sister. So oh. these were in-laws. These mm. were Buhari's in-laws. So mm. he was shocked by the people that betrayed him. So my suspicion is if the British and the Americans have called you, uh, Commissioner of Police in Lagos, and told you yourself, said, look, Michael, we are watching you. If you dare do anything, it is you who will put in prison, not Buhari. I suspect that that kind of threat will make many people do deals. So maybe, maybe I'm just being overly hopeful, but I suspect that there might be another 1985-type surprise I mean, next I mean, week. I hope, for the sake of the country, I do hope that Atiku wins. And I hope that any messages that the Americans and the British have passed across to the relevant actors really hits home. But above all that, I just want the will of the people to come into being. If the people vote for Atiku, I want Atiku to be declared the winner. Yeah. If the people unfortunately vote for Bahari, I want Bahari to be declared the winner. I don't want any Magomago to disturb yes. the real nature of the voting by the people. That's my primary concern. I think with everything that's happened in these past four years, given the hope, given the expectations that this government had when it came into power yeah. and the ultimate disappointment that people have felt. I mean, people are leaving the country in droves, right? I had a circle of friends in Nigeria. You know, I, I go there often. And out of 18 people that I could count as my friends, seven have left the country. And yeah. these are people that had very good jobs. When yeah. I'm talking about the poorer people, these people have very... So if the upper middle class and middle class is not feeling any semblance of hope or... or identifying that there might be a future in the country, then the working class are in real danger, right? So I don't see from an observing angle, because I'm not as invested in these elections as I was in 2015, I don't see from an observing angle that people are just as moved, that they're as exercised about the need to change the government as it might have been in 2015. Well, I, I can't blame them because it's a natural human uh, phenomenon. You see, like, it's just like every, apart from me, obviously, I'm a good Christian guy, so I can't <laughs> relate it, but every 
boy or girl will tell you they used to believe in like true deep love until one there was one person that as they say deals worry, with them yes scatters <laughs> their hearts you know that kind of eye-opening heartbreak that you won't believe a human being can do what they did to you and after that the next time you hear love or the next time a man comes you just <laughs> you look at him <laughs> not that you even run but he'll just be telling you romantic things and you just be looking at him like my friend will you get out from here have i not <laughs> heard of these stories before so i think for many nigerians both old and young 2015 was like that first romantic dream that was sold to them they were told that look all you need to do is press your hand under the broom and Nigeria will turn into America. Where all your hopes, everything you've ever imagined for a country, we will do for you. So people poured their emotions into that into those elections because they genuinely believed, uh, I think foolishly, mm. but they, they genuinely believed that change was really coming. Mm. And then for their dreams to be shattered, and then if you look at both sides, on the PDP side, Atiku and Saraki, who are prominent on PDP, were part of the people that sold you this dream of change and that didn't materialize. So if you had, if you're a heartbroken voter, you're just staring at Atiku and Buhari and just saying, both of you are not serious. After, it's true. after you sold me love in 2015, you're both back here. So that's part of the apathy. Like no, but I, but I mean, I, I have to give some kudos to the PDP campaign. They're not selling Atiku as some kind of messiah. I mean, I think the people who are doing his... Uh, communications and campaign yeah. uh, situation realize that the electorate generally believes that this guy is flawed however they see him as a better they're presenting him as a better alternative to the, to the status quo that is selling him as someone who's business friendly who will really essentially govern through inclusiveness you know which is something yeah. that buhari has been accused of not doing so i mean i think kudos to the pdp guys for selling him at least as realistically as possible um like i said my my worry is just apathy you know well, well yes I, the, the point what i suppose my point is i, I too prefer tiku what i'm saying is it doesn't matter how they're selling him the point is both of you broke somebody's heart in 2015 and you're both now knocking on his door yeah, so you have a point. There, you, you you have a you have a point there. So um, a lot of people have just disengaged. Many yeah. people, have even I mean, I I'm one of those people. Yes. You know, you know, I'm a I'm a very passionate person about Niger, and for me to be as disinterested as I am right now, yeah. it, it tells the psychological effects of 2015 yeah. is still very much present within me. Yeah. Um. So if I can speak for myself, I I'm imagining that a lot of people feel the same way. Yes. Yeah. Even people who weren't as involved as I yeah. was. So um. Yeah, that, that is certainly legit. So now let's talk about the third party uh, movement. Um, so that's yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. see that devilish laugh he offers. Um, Michael and I have been talking about this for a while, and he knows that I was minded to support Kingsley Mohalu. Um, and still, if I were to vote today, I would still vote for Kingsley Mohalu, but I'm not going to be in Nigeria during the election, so I'm not going to vote. Um, what happened? That kind of blew up in their faces, right? I mean, I think Obi Ezekwesili for all her good intentions, was apparently naive. Yeah. Um, and then you have Fala Jorotoy and Kingsley Mahali agreeing to form some some sort of coalition towards the elections. I mean, it all just looks like a joke now, right? Well, it's it's something people have always said. There's a, there's a dude I like on Twitter. His name is uh, King Alfred. I, li I like his analysis on issues. And King Alfred always says that when you are doing business, there's a certain level of due diligence that the average Nigerian applies when they're doing business. Before they even invest five naira, they investigate, want to find out what are you doing, where are you going. 
but he was always he always says that for reasons that he can't quite fathom that level of due diligence that we adopt in business we don't do it in politics we just get up in the morning and say i want to do this without fully investigating what am i part of what what does this thing mean now with with the obi is a crazy disaster firstly i think obi is a fantastic woman i think she's done a lot so i don't have any personal beef beef with her or anything but i think her main issue problem was the foundation was faulty from the beginning mm. if you were going to start this movement you guys should have created your own party yeah as opposed to joining one yes. that already existed yeah. yes and had internal rules and made sure you follow those rules but i watched mm. the video this was a party that was already established they came to your living room and said we want to dash you our presidential ticket mm. if you're going to be forming a new change party it should have been primaries so nobody should have been dashed the ticket exactly yeah instead they came and gave you a ticket that that already was in my view not quite right mm. so i think it just literally went downhill and secondly i think maybe i think it's a flaw with people like obi who are activists people who are passionate activists sometimes they don't listen when people are warning you there was a video of deja day or you actually telling her that look this your party doesn't have a strong foundation doesn't have a strong structure many of us on twitter tried to point out some things that were wrong but they in polite words told us to shut up go away that we are <laughs> yeah, you people are troublemakers that we are friends of uh, our friends of atiku friends of corruption and all that so we all i think many people saw the problems coming but they didn't want to listen mm. so i think the lesson is if you're going to start a movement take time build something the way you'd build a business um i think my my main issue with that and i think we touched on this in another episode is that she was sort of an arbiter, a referee of yes. the third party movement. Yeah. Then you don't come at the 11th hour and say, okay, yeah. I'm also going to run. I think her reputation is stellar, at least for people like me, so stellar that she could have decided to start a grassroots, grassroots movement with a yeah. view to 2023 or something of that nature. So we start at the bottom. We yeah. work with the state uh, assemblies, councilmen, etc. So you started from there. You really get Nigerians involved in what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Unfortunately for her, she joined an existing party. You don't know what people's agendas are. Yeah. You don't know how they're trying to use you. You don't know how they're trying to use to raise their platform, etc. And it's all sort of just blown up. Yeah. And it's quite disappointed because I'm not particularly moved by either candidate. Like I've said, I like Atiku over Buhari, but I'm not exactly a fanatical Atiku supporter, right? Yeah. Um, I think that... The funny thing for somebody like me is when these PDP boys on Twitter in particular were crazy about Dan Quimbo, and somebody like me suggested Atiku as a viable candidate, they accused me of being paid. <laughs> they laughed and accused me of being paid because they were all supporting Dan Quimbo. And now these same people are carrying Atiku on their heads like Gala. <laughs> so you have to just wonder, like, what's the, like, where do you stand? What are your principles? I know that Atiku isn't perfect. When I, when I was championing him as a, as a possible candidate, yeah. I knew he wasn't perfect, and I still know that he's not perfect today. I like the man. I might not necessarily like the PDP, but I yeah. like the man. So if he were to win, I'd be okay. The problem for me now is, okay, we're going into another election cycle. We don't have our ideas down pat. Yeah. We're still surrounding personalities. We're still fighting and engaging each other based on the personalities involved. Yeah. Now, when do you think we're going to grow from this? When are we going to realize, okay, fine, I support devolution, I support a smaller government, so therefore I'm a US-style Republican, or I support a bigger government, I support more government involvement in our everyday lives, so I'm a... Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, to be, to be honest, I think for us to get to that level of ideologically aligned parties we need 
leadership both at the party level and leadership at the influencer level as well. So, for example, this problem began on uh, Obasanjo. Because mm. by the time Obasanjo finished in 2007, it was quite clear that the PDP was supposed to be the, the center or the right-leaning party. Mm. Now, because of his beef with Atiku, he went and pulled out Yaradua. Anybody who knows Yaradua knows or knew that Yaradua was a leftist. He'd always mm. been a leftist. But Obasanjo would not listen. So you put the guy there, and obviously the guy was now reversing all your reform programs. You've now hit on a point that I think is important. Yes. I think right-leaning economic policies, at the very least, yes. are a southern thing. No, not necessarily. Atiku is right-leaning. Okay, so yes. he's saying he is. No, but I mean, he is we because... We know the things that they said about Buhari before Buhari became the no, president. No, but Atiku helped to lead the reform program in Obasanjo's government. So it's not just, just that he's saying it. He did those things. You saw the way Atiku's always been very pro-American style business, mm. brought the universities to Nigeria. So in a way, as, as the Bible will say, by their fruits you shall know them. Everything in Atiku's... Stop preaching on the podcast. Yeah. This is I'm not, secular. I, I'm not preaching. I'm just quoting, quoting uh, Jesus. But yeah, by their fruits. So if you look at the way Atiku's run his affairs, you can see that this, this person is pro-business, pro right of center. If you see the way Atiku uh, Buhari has run his affairs, you can tell that this guy is a welfareist. He always mm. likes to live at the expense I mean, of... Is it surprising? His entire life has been funded by the Nigerian state. Yes. He has so never he... attempted any business in his life. So no. so you can see the way... So Obasanjo's main problem was rather than cement the party as center-right by getting a an Atiku or... Or rather than involve Nigerians, real everyday Nigerians in the PDP, yeah. the PDP kept itself as a party for the already empowered. I think that's a big problem. Well, well, Obasanjo created the mess, and mm. from there, we've been struggling. But as I said, the influencers also need to take their blame because the ABC2 is clearly, or has always clearly, in my in my view, been the left of center party. Well, it's a, it's a marriage of convenience, the ABC, because you have the ACN, a party that had its own ideas on what they saw a viable Nigeria as. You have the CPC, who was yeah. definitely left-leaning socialist kind of party. Yes. They were married for the convenience of, of, of electing one of their own, in quote. Right? Yes. So it's not the APC's ideals are all over the place. Yes, it was an intellectual contradiction. Mm -hmm. So my view was, how could, you, how could anybody have said, I'm a center-right uh, capitalist, and then I'm supporting this, this party, when it was obvious that they were going nowhere. So... I suppose what needs to happen is if Atiku wins or... However, at the moment, the, the parties have literally created a line. So I think it's now obvious that the PDP is centre-right and the APC is centre-left. But then again, all we need is if Atiku wins, we need to make sure that those that ideologies are entrenched in the party. And when he's leaving, he nominates or supports a candidate who shares those views. He should have done a basson job. I mean, I think come 2023, I'm going to be close to 40, right? So I'm going to stop being a youth. You know, uh, yeah, so, right. as far as it goes, mm -hmm. once you're above 25, you know, yeah, yeah, but in the Nigerian parlance, once you're below 20, 35, you're still young, yeah. So. No, 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 you see 50 people, <laughs> 50 year old calling themselves youths. No, but I, I think, I think what, what really worries me is we do this again in 2023, right? I think this is the time for people who are interested, like you, like me, to really say, Look, we need a buy into these politics, we need a buy in where our say matters. And that, for me, is important. You have to put yourself on the line 
financially. I was a member of the Labour Party. I contributed £5 a month until I left the party. And I yep. know how the party is financed, right? Yep. As long as our parties are being financed by powers unknown, you yep. know, raiding the state coffers to finance the parties, Nigerians will continue being aloof because the party then is not beholden to Nigerians in any way, shape or form because they're not getting the money from them. So I'm interested in how, and perhaps this question is more pertinent to a member of the third party, quote unquote. I'm interested in how ordinary Nigerians can really hold a stake in these parties going forward. Because let's be honest, and I'm being entirely honest, as much as I like Atiku, I understand the reservations about him. Yes. You know, I understand that a lot of people are wary, you know, corruption allegations, nepotism, etc. Not that he's any worse than the, than the status quo, but, you know, a lot of people are rightly worried about these things. Right? And I think these things, these concerns are fueled by the fact that these parties are funded in the most opaque means. We yes. don't know how they're funded. Yes. They don't answer to ordinary Nigerians. It's a power play at the very, very top. Yeah. So how, in your opinion, can concerned Nigerians like me, like you, be involved in the political process without really compromising our principles? Because I can't join any political party unless I understand how it's funded. Well, there are, there are only two ways to get it done. The first is, as I said, leadership. So if, let's say, an Antiku wins and becomes president and then decides, okay, we need to reform this PDP to become a truly democratic party that is, is accountable to the people, there will be many PD reform documents that have been put on their table for this very purpose, but uh, uh, stakeholders within push back because they don't want to lose control. Mm. So that's one step. Or step two is to build a real political movement where the likes of Obi, Kingsley Mogalu, and all the others who say, okay, they want clean, good politics to put their egos aside and say, okay, look, we want a center-right party. Let's construct, let's, let's create the legal instruments for this party. Let's have a constitution. Let's have clear rules, for, of, rules of membership so that it doesn't become Obi's personal party or Mogalu's mm. personal party. Mm. The same way you build a business from scratch, like the way GTB was built from scratch and other banks. So it is doable, but it requires leadership and people who are ready to play the long game. The problem with many of our Nigerian political leaders is they don't do long game. They just start mm. something and once it fizzles out, they, they jump onto the next bandwagon. Mm. So I think it's either the PDP reforms itself or somebody decides to take this thing as maybe a 10, 20-year project? I mean, I think where the third party essentially failed is that they really failed to carry Nigerians along, one. Yeah. And two, they started from the very top. Yes. The, the, the top, the center, that's Abuja, is definitely muddy and it definitely needs a change, right? Yeah. But you build these things organically from the grassroots. Where yeah. you know there's an issue, you engage and involve everyday Nigerians. You share a lot of the same frustrations. Yeah. But you give them an avenue to exercise their rights to as citizens, to exercise their own little influence and make them feel a definite part of the process. Yeah. I think the third party didn't do that. And for all their ills, the major parties can do that because you can go to your wards and find a local ward leader for the PDP, for the APC. Whether the, you know, whether the meetings go on the way you would like is another story. But yeah. the point is, in your ward, you know who your chairman or your chairwoman is. The meetings happen, etc. You know that they have like funding projects for the local market women, the local traders, etc. So it's hard for third parties to compete, I understand. And a lot of people are disinterested in the coming elections because they feel like they have no say. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm imploring Nigerians, please. Hmm? 
this is the only country we have. I, I know that Michael and I are in the UK, but believe me, if you were to ask Michael like me, if I would rather be here shivering at this time of the year <laughs> or be in Niger doing my honest work, making a living and feeling secure, I know what yeah. I would choose. Well, I, I would, but to be honest, the last time I was in Lagos, that, that heat is quite uh, serious. Because there are no trees, Michael. Yeah. That was the first time I actually thought this country is too hot. No wonder Buhari is <laughs> in London all the time. It's, it's really too hot. <laughs> when I was in Niger for two weeks the last time, I lost half a stone. And I, it's not like I was exercising, it's the sweating. Lost from heat, yeah. Yes, the sweating. I was just losing body water, like... So, it was the sweating, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't know how I feel about these upcoming elections. Let me be honest. Well, I don't know how I feel. No, my view is uh, people need to play the long game and just let's say we hope Atiku wins, and then what we have to do is put if we if we want to build a nation, we have to accept that. Okay, look, these two parties are these two leaders are imperfect. Mm. So when they are going into office. These men have benefited a lot from the Nigerian state. Mm -hmm. So Atiku is not going in there to do me a favor. That's Rather, true. he's going there to repay the debt he owes Nigeria. Excuse me. Yeah, so what true. we need to do to these people is literally from the first day Atiku enters office, we literally need to, to, to tackle him the way you're tackling if a, a football player is tackling a striker. That's what I did with Bahari. Yeah. If you from the moment the fellow was sworn in, even with the, all the hope and optimism I felt, from the moment he was sworn in, I became a citizen again. Not a supporter of the government, uh, no, not I'm, a supporter of Buhari. Hey, I'm, I'm asking listeners <laughs> to search my tweet no, from 2015 still, upwards. For and at least see, a year, you were still see, defending that's Buhari. That's not true. That's not true. Okay, maybe his, at least nine his months. His Al Jazeera interview where he was saying something about if parents can afford the fees, they should pay it, but he's not given FX. It was me that brought it on Twitter. So don't even say that. No, but I remember when you did that 97% or 5%. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, no. I understood. You were saying people no, misunderstood Listen, I, yes, and I still insist that people misunderstood him. What the fellow was trying to say is if you get 97% of votes in an area and you get 5% of votes in another area, the expectations and the delivery will be different. Whether I agree with him or not is another matter, but that's what I understood that he meant. I don't need to lie. If I understand something, I will say I understand. If I don't understand, I will say no. I don't understand. Well, the majority of us because, were condemning him because he said... Well, because I feel like a lot of people just speak on emotions. Like, the facts are there. We don't... See, the, the this government has been so woeful. You don't need to lie. Well, it wasn't a lie. They asked him a oh, simple question deliberately, about... Deliberately misinterpret what it is well, they're saying. Buhari was point. asked about inclusive governance and mm -hmm. what plans he has for inclusive governance. And he gave a speech on how, why people who got... 5% or gave 5% should not expect the same level as and, those who got 97 you know, And this is what not, kind of statement this is, is that not something, This is not something you say outside. But politicians always look after their base more than everywhere else. No, no, no I don't believe say, so. I believe so. Even I Jonathan believe. Obasanjo never did that. Oh, please. Even Yaradua never mean, did you, that. You, Obasanjo will be the exception. And, and <laughs> Wait, Yaradua is not is not a viable example because he barely governed, right? But Jonathan never did that. If you, if no, you, I'm if you, sorry. If before, you talk people in Jonathan's government, the they will tell you that the, he invested the more no, 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 listen. In, in the north before than in the south. Before the podcast started, Michael yeah. and I had a discussion about why Jonathan fell out with the southwest. Yeah. Now, the southwest, whether we like it or not, is a hub of business in Nigeria, is a hub of tax revenues in Nigeria. Yeah. But somehow, the Jonathan government, whether inadvertently or on purpose, fell out with the southwest. Now, listen when I tell you this. The southwest except for Ekiti, all voted Jonathan. Yeah. But they got, as far as the political elite is concerned, they got nothing in return for that. But, but, they, that, but that's not correct. They, they oh. got, they, they, first of all, Jonathan wanted to make, wanted the Speaker of the House be from the Southwest. It was Tinubu 
that set out to destroy no, that arrangement true. because Tinubu didn't want a Southwest speaker. That's true. You then all the gave them strategic ministries like uh, Ministry of of Tech because he understood that tech was from the Southwest. He put Mobola Johnson, who's a, a Southwesterner, in that position. Ag agriculture, which was another powerful job, he gave it to Akin Adeshino. Uh, foreign affairs, he gave it to Ashiru Ambassador well, Ashiru. Why did he fall out with the Southwest? Well, if you why read, the perception that he was anti-Southwest? Well, if, 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 if you if you read uh, Balaji Abdullahi's book and if you spoke to other sources, the real problem was during the 2011 election, Tinubu saw the results oh. and saw that at Buhari came second and got 12 million votes. I think Jonathan won with like 15 or whatever. Mm. And Tinubu concluded then that, look, if I do a deal with this man, uh, Buhari, we can take this presidency. So from that moment, they deliberately set out But to do you accept that there was a perception that Jonathan was anti-Southwest. Well, yes, that's because the Tinubu me media fed that perception. Okay, even but the, though the perception was there. Whether well, it was real or well, imagined... Well, it wasn't real because I've just given you examples of whether, no, I'm powerful saying, jobs that were given to Southwesterners. Whether, South it, was, whether yeah. it was real or imagined, yeah. the perception was there. Yeah, that was because it was fed by oh, okay. the Tinubu right. machine. I Fra remember the chairman of board of trustees of PDP frankly, was Obasanjo, which is also Southwest. Frankly speaking, I didn't yeah. really give much thought to what the elites feel like they're getting or they're not getting. My concern is always about the average Nigerian. Yes. I don't care if he doesn't have a single Southwestern minister. So long as people can go about their daily lives, they're yeah. secure, and they can do their business without someone in Abuja telling them they need this certificate and that certificate. That's all I want. Yes, I but, but if you ask the Southwesterners, honestly, they'll tell you the economy under general was better for them. All these, all these tech guys I were making good no, money. I can't deny that. So, I don't think any fair person can deny yeah. that the economy under Jonathan is much better. Yeah, than if you remember, the, 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 the tech boom blew under him. People yeah, were making good no, money. I, I mean, you you'd have to be terribly partisan or just a liar to yeah. deny that the fact <laughs> is, under Jonathan, businesses yeah. were performing better, the tech yeah. industry was, was doing better. And, yeah. you know, all the tech... tech Outfits that we even know, Zikoko, yeah. um, uh, uh, Red Media, under yeah. Jonathan, they were they were thriving. Yeah, yeah they were the ones that, that's when they all blew. So they were, they were thriving. So he, he, he did some good work. The obviously politics, the Tinubu politics, helped to cloud that whole thing. It's the same thing. Like I bet you now, we've we've been shouting that Buhari is marginalizing the South, mm. but the the media is not saying anything. The day Buhari eventually falls out with Tinubu, oh. you will then see articles everywhere telling you how. Buhari is divisive, as if it only just I began. Mean, I, I, I mean, it's it's this, unfortunately for Nigerians, and yes, this is quite unfortunate. The media is concentrated too much in the southwest. Yes. We need a media that's vibrant in the southeast, middle belt, up north, etc. We need that because that is the only way to check the excesses of the government. When the media is concentrated on a part of the country that's essentially interested in the perpetuity of yes. a strongman, Tinubu you're not going to get the truth because these people are easily bought and they're easily bought by people who want only a version of the truth yeah. or lies presented to the public. So I think yeah. it's a disadvantage for Nigerians that much of the media is concentrated in the Southwest. And um, that, unfortunately, is an advantage of Bahari. It plays into yes. his re-election chances. But, but, but the, the, the disadvantage, sorry to cut, interrupt, the, 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 the worry they have now is with technology, social media and all that, even the traditional media is now losing its influence. That's why they are very worried about social media. So because you, to ask you, do you think there's a chance the internet will be shut down? I don't think they can dare it. Well, to be honest, I, I think they. I, I'm I'm hundred percent sure they are discussing it. The the real issue is whether they have the capacity to do so, 
because I don't think it's as straightforward. Capacity is in the technological know-how. Yes, because with the the Chinese are quite good because the 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 Chinese have the tech capacity to be able to say. Let's shut down the internet in China. Ah, but the Ugandans could do it. The Zimbabweans could do it. Well, U- Uganda is and Zimbabwe, in terms of competent dictatorships, mm. actually far more competent than this Buhari government. Buhari might only they might just shut down the wrong thing. So you don't think that it's a word to MTN, it's a word to Nine Mobile, it's a word to Glow, or yeah, shut down. You think it will be more complicated than that? Well, I, I don't think they, I don't think I don't think it will be obeyed. I don't think they would necessarily obey it, and I. I I, I don't know why, but I just have this feeling that they might want to do it, but they don't have the competence to do it. Um, I don't think it's, a, for me, I don't think it's a matter of competence. I agree that they might want to do it. I think yeah. that the backlash would be too much. I think if you think about the most tech-savvy area of the country, yeah. is the middle belt down. Yeah. So you have people who, who are already in opposition to you, yeah. who probably, if you're lucky, will be too apathetic to turn out. Yeah. And then you turn off the internet. <laughs> okay. No, uh, from speaking to people. You cut them off from WhatsApp, speaking to their relatives abroad, ensuring that the money is getting into their accounts. You cut that off. Well, yes, yeah, the, the thing, yeah, you probably have a point. They, they, they'll be. But then again, the thing is, the people who are making decisions for Buhari don't care about backlash because they're not the uh, Mamandaras, the Abakiaris, the Isa Fontua. Nobody even knows who they are. So, mm. and Buhari himself doesn't care. Probably will not be aware. Uh, he doesn't understand. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't think. Your, the kind of people you're, wor- you're talking about are not people that worry about any backlash. I think. In fact, a part of me is hoping they do it because I need anything that would ginger Nigerians to say, you know what, enough is enough. But, but the downside is the internet provides an avenue to shame the government. So if yeah. anything untoward is happening, you can post it up immediately and immediately the outcry starts. But I, right? I'm sure you saw the thread somebody wrote yesterday explaining how even the poverty we're experiencing under Buhari... Oh it's oh because we eat God. too much rice. Somebody said, do Nigerians need to eat rice? Well, so when you're looking at that mindset, do you think you shut up, shut down the internet and that mindset will say... Uh, Michael. They will tell you we were downloading too much the, porn. The, the, so the, the it, people who think that way are yeah. actually a minority. They might be Buhari, but they're a minority. You mean even people who, are, who don't give a damn about politics, like going to Linda Ikeji, they like reading about Manchester no, United and Arsenal. I'll, I'll be honest are with you. Are you telling me that those people will be happy with such a decision? No, I'll be honest with you. I've been genuinely surprised by the, the types of people who I've spoken to who have repeated some of this Buhari economic illiteracy. These are not uh, people who didn't go to school. Some of these okay, people are... Okay, Michael, let me ask you something. So yeah. those people you're speaking to, are they happy as in... Are they prospering under the idea that the government should be in control of every aspect of your life? Well, Does it put money in their pockets? Or are they saying it because they know that they're all right, but this is an idea that other Nigerians should swallow because they won't be affected personally? No, it's... it's some of them are benefiting, but some of them are not. But that's not why... everybody's dangotil. Yes, but that's why... Uh, I'm sure you know uh, Oyeon Kuzi, Chukudebelu, mm. talks mm. a lot about the power of ideology. God bless that man yeah. because he's been consistent from the gate. Even yeah. when I disagree with him, which is quite often, yeah. he has been consistent yeah. from the beginning and yeah. he hasn't changed his his outlook. Yes. And, you know, we need people like that who speak truth to power, who stay consistent in, in, in what they're saying yeah. so people can learn from them eventually. Yeah, but he's, yeah, basically he's always talked about the power of ideology and I saw something today and a newspaper article from 1984 where Buhari was blaming middlemen for the collapse of the economy. This blame thing always he always does. And I remember that even when I was in primary and secondary school in Nigeria, 
when we're learning about economics and business, mm -hmm. they always the ideology there was that middlemen were somehow bad people. Mm -hmm. So there's a large number of Nigerians, millions, who have been through universities in Nigeria where professors have taught them mm -hmm. that a lot of these Buhari ideas are the right thing. That's why when you hear many of them talk about IMF, World Bank, mm -hmm. it makes it seem like he's some evil bogeyman. Mm -hmm. It was only when I came to England I realized, actually, the IMF and World Bank, they are neither good nor bad. They're just a, a investment sort of a development agency. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like they walk around in capes trying to kidnap people. Mm -hmm. But that's the story that has been sold to many people in Nigeria. So if you told them that we're shutting down this internet because IMF I said one thing, no, I don't agree. They'll buy the story. No, I, I sincerely <laughs> don't agree because people have personal relationships on the internet. They have uh, personal accesses that will be denied to information to what's going on in the world. I see. Football. Hmm. Denying people access to football, Michael, is not a joke. Well, that's the from internet now because you can uh, you can air it on TV. How? how? You, how do you want to watch Manchester United? And, no, and I'm sure you, there's a way you say you block access to Twitter and Facebook. How many people have DSTV? Well, they go to viewing centers, don't they? Look, listen. If the if the government wants to lose, it should try to shut down the internet. Well, I feel like that would really ginger because then people get a taste of what this government is really about. No, but if they successfully shut down the internet during the elections, they yeah. will try it again. If this fellow wins, well, I suppose the question is, how can you say they will get a taste? This four years has already been a taste no, of what no, this government is about. Like, but but they've know, been putting up with but it. But you see, you know, like you were saying, a lot of people can find a way to justify, say, oh, maybe he's doing it for the good, he's cutting out the middlemen, blah, blah, blah. But see, the internet is a lot of people's links to their families abroad, yeah. to education, you know, to news, to everything of that nature. You remove that access from their lives and they're essentially cut off. Look at the internet, how it rescues people, essentially. How are you going to contact Segalink? To come no. and rescue you when the police are rescued. I, I suppose the... No, I, I see the logic of what you're saying. How, when you're, me, how when you're sexually assaulted, are you going to contact your peers to come and stand up for you? Well, how? I suppose the, 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 the point for me is, if after all that happened in Oshun State, where the governor literally bankrupted the state, and people still went back and said, we're voting for APC. I mean, okay, it was a close... Even if, let's say Adeleke won, but it was very, very close margins. What, to be honest... I've seen enough educated people parrot some Buhari, Buhari ideas. To the, so that's why I'm not as optimistic oh, yeah, as you are. I think. Yeah, yeah, perhaps I'm being naive. But no, honestly, no, I, 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 I sincerely feel like for his for the for the opposition's base, yeah, blocking the internet will be a rallying cry for them to really turn. No, I mean, don't, don't you remember the forex thing? People were losing millions. There was mm. supposed to be a protest, and all Tinubu told them was. You don't earn your salary in dollars, so you should not concern no, I, you. No, I don't, I don't think Sunubu was speaking to people who wanted to protest. He was speaking to the media. Look, there were, remember there was a mini protest that Two-Face wanted to lead? Yeah. And young people still turned out. Not in their droves, but they still yeah. turned out, right? Yeah. So, if you get a situation where, and a lot of people are making money on the internet, they yeah. make their livelihood, the tech industry we're speaking about, they're yeah. doing contracts in the US, in the UK, in Norway, etc., via the internet. You cut that off? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, I don't know why you're optimistic. I, to be honest, <laughs> what from what I've seen even on social media, I think, but even if Buhari starts holding live baby sacrifices on Asorok, <laughs> somebody will write a thread explaining the understanding the other side of babies and why I we mean, need to oh, kill them. Yes, so, let's quickly talk on the CJN before we forget. You know, you mentioning the other side just brought me into that really quickly. Oh, yeah. I think the the passion 
for reversing the legality of firing the CJNS waned. And that makes me sad. Because whether you believe the CJNS is guilty or not, that's that's not what this is about. Yep. If Buhari is allowed to get away with this, if he wins, he won't stop there. You yes. know, and I think every well-meaning Nigerian should be concerned if he gets away with this. Because yes. in my the way that I reason it is, the most that can happen is for the NJC to insist that the president reverses himself and deals with the matter independent of Asarok interference. If he's allowed to get away with this, that is the NJC agreeing with the suspension, whatever, yep. without it being reserved, reversed, it doesn't bode well. Because once somebody has stepped over the mark, the yep. next president will feel very comfortable doing the same thing. Well, yes. Well, that, that's what I, I, I hoped would happen. But yes, it seems the, uh, the noise has died down. I don't know why that is maybe they've had some internal conversations or they have now should be yeah. uh Oshimbajo invited some sands and yes. things and apc members yes. to Asa rock so the noise is really quite it's I, that makes me really sad no yeah yes i saw that uh, a group of sands wrote some sort of counter letter saying there's corruption in the judiciary those were obviously Oshimbajo's loyalists trying to I mean, look, what, what facet of Nigerian life isn't there corruption? But yes. we are still supposed to be governed by laws. Yes, no, the because I was reading that uh, so-called Eurasia reports that uh, the cable put out yesterday. And the one, one point they made there was, if you gauge the mood of Nigerians, and I, and I saw that when I was in Lagos, there was one group who were generally angry with what Buhari did. But there was another group who were actually saying, look, we blame the judges because they should have been the ones to fight the corruption and they didn't. See, the thing is, people don't understand that you can hold the two ideas at the same time yeah. without being a contradiction. Yeah. I, I still insist, and I've told Michael, that since I've been reading Nigerian law, because yeah. I'm interested in the law, the 2015 election results, uh, tribunal results uh, appeal in the Supreme Court is the most ridiculous I've ever seen, right? Mm. It's obvious that that decision was paid for, to me, it's obvious. But that doesn't mean that I support this idea that judges should be removed willingly as the president, you yeah, know, feels. Uh, uh, feels. You can investigate. That's why you have the EFCC. That's why you have the police. Investigate them and convict them in the court of law. So you can you can accept that judges are corrupt and the legal the judiciary is rigged in favor of powerful people. You can accept that. That's fine. Yeah. But. You cannot support the idea that judges should be yanked off the bench because the president feels that they won't do his bidding or they not the judgments don't correlate with the way he thinks they should go. Okay. That to me is dangerous. No, I, I agree. The that's one of the, the the points I was discussing with the pastors when I was in Lagos because many of them some of them were lawyers and said, Look, mm. we don't understand why the prophet is doing all this stuff because you're you're a lawyer and this is clearly encroaching on your turf. Exactly. So I, 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 to, to be honest, Buhari doesn't surprise me anymore. So I don't even know what to say. Which was, well, these things they do don't make any sense. But it, it is what it is. I just, uh, my, my main prayer, which is why I'm so vocal about uh, criticizing Atiku, is that whoever replaces Buhari needs to take us back to the sanity or the relative sanity we had in 2015. So I don't want someone coming into office and thinking, okay, I haven't arrested a judge, therefore I'm, I'm better. No, I want us to literally get to the point where you don't even consider this kind of madness again, where uh, we, we, we change things. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping happens. Oh man, I'm not, I'm not very optimistic because I was hoping that the anger this generated, even people who were saying, okay, the judge erred in cancelling the first uh, NJC meeting, etc., still accepted that there was precedence on ground that should have governed the way this case, this matter was treated. Yeah. Do you understand? So I'm, uh, And I was hopeful that this would spur something, but 
in the past weeks and in the last fortnight, I've seen that the anger has really abated yeah. and people are willing to accept this as a status quo. That's dangerous for us going forward. And what? the thing is, when you don't check someone's excesses, Buhari might lose, he might win. Let's say he loses. What stops Atiku from firing, firing an ex-judge he doesn't agree with? And to think, if the NJC takes the decision to, to uphold uh, Omohen, on Nohen suspension and fires also the acting CJN. The next CJN is Rose Viva. Yeah. Rose Viva's son is no. a PDP member. I don't think that's his son. I think it's his nephew or something. N his family member, sorry, yeah. pardon me, <laughs> is a PDP member running, actively contesting a seat in Lagos. How is the opposition going to accept that? How is the opposition going to accept that this man can still be fair despite the fact that, do you understand, they've put yeah. us in a right hot pot? Well, but the truth of the matter is. Uh, Many Supreme Court justices, I mean, Abdul Salami's wife was a, I think, Justice Supreme Court or Court of Appeal at some point, whilst mm. he was head of state. So I don't think your family member being a Supreme Court judge is, is neither here nor there. As no, long I, as... I think those are different times, Michael. I think now everybody is very suspicious of everybody else. No, but yeah, all, all you have to do is, uh, as they do in the Western world, is you recuse yourself from certain decisions yeah, so you don't, yeah. you don't get involved because yeah. you may be partisan. But my, my main concern is, I said this right from the outset, I said, look, when Buhari came into office, there was this thing with the proverbial boiling frog. He was misbehaving right from the start and people were not calling him out. So we've now got to the point where he can do anything and it doesn't actually sound ridiculous because he's gradually taken us to this level. That's why nobody's angry anymore because we just think, oh, it's Buhari. <laughs> he's done it again. I mean, if, I remember the first foolish thing he did. He was literally on the day he was sworn in. He got up and left his guests. I went to pray. And people were just thinking, how can you leave your international guests and disappear? And then they issued a statement blaming PDP, mm. saying it was Jonathan that plans the 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 order of events. So Buhari didn't know. Mm. And that was nonsense because ABC had representatives on the planning mm. committee. So mm. he started from there and just literally went downhill. Okay, before we forget, let's quickly mention Orofai and his last statement on the <laughs> Just quickly talk about this before we wrap up. Yeah. Why is Orofai so irresponsible? Well, let's please tell the tell the listeners what he said. Well, Rufai, I, I I was just I don't know how the matter got there, but he was talking about people who are saying they want to intervene in the electoral process in Nigeria. He, I was talking about foreigners. He mm. said, "Well, if they decide to do so, they will go back in body bags," mm. which is a very offensive and incendiary thing to say, especially to the British and the Americans who. Rufai in the past has always called upon to intervene politically when it favoured uh, him. Mm. Now, the, the problem, to be honest, my issue with El Rufai is, and I've said this to you before, this is not the first time he's done this. Right from, That's right. even before 2015, El Rufai would That's look true. for the most offensive thing. And to be honest, I actually blame you guys because that was the point where People should have been done with him. In my view, there are some lines you cross in politics that everybody says, look, we're done. But literally, people kept making excuses. They say, oh, oh yes, yes, he's insulted Niger Deltans, but he's a good administrator. Oh, he's insulted Christians, but he's a good administrator. And we've now got to the point where Elrufai thinks he can say whatever he wants to say with no consequences. So, I think... I, think I mean, he might, have, he might have gone way too far this time. 
uh, because I think his his utterance is prompted response to the Americans and the British. Yes. And um, I mean, to my to, to my chagrin, I, I suppose I shouldn't have been. The presidency was supporting what he said, his position. Yes. So is the presidency adopting the position that foreign observers will go back in body bags or what? Well, the thing is, I think this is probably the least offensive thing he's actually ever said. Uh, the body bags threat is the least of, of the others. Perhaps, perhaps. Because but it's just that he, he put us out there, you know, like... Well, yes. And well, and if you have somebody like him, who clearly, I mean, now I see, um, if I like somebody, I, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt to the maximum, right? And I and I really did like him. I like that he supported uh, devolution. And like I said to Michael, I think for real devolution to happen, it sort of has to come from a northern powerhouse, right? Yeah. But um, I feel like he only thrives where there's obvious chaos and obvious division. Well, yes. And he has pressed the button too far this time. Well, you know, because he, he, this this comment has been documented everywhere. If yeah. anything untoward should happen, he will have something to answer for. Well, the as I said, Arufa is copying the Buhari playbook because this is how Buhari too got his cult following. He was always known to be divisive. I mean, the last election in 2011, we saw the things he said even after youth corpus had died because of the violence. Uh, Buhari could not even bring himself to condemn it. Mm. I mean... The United States Institute of Peace, even in 2011, released a report blaming Buhari and his utterances for some of the violence. But over the years, people forgot about that and they said, oh, he has a court following, so he should be president. So Arufai is following that. Arufai does these things because he knows the more offensive things he says, the more he builds up this cult following of, of fanatics. And my guess is a time will come where Arufai will also have 12 million loyalists who support him. And he would just do a deal with someone down south and get himself pres elected president. So I think I see what he's doing. He's, he's, it's an evil plot to build a political yeah, following. I really truly hope that Nigeria has matured beyond that point. I mean, I think the time Buhari was doing his, it was a different time. I mean, that this is me being wildly optimistic right well, now. Well, yes, that's uh, because I bet you there are people who died in the 80s and said oh, that Buhari would never be president again. Mm -hmm. And they'd be shocked to hear that. What? You guys still elected this man after all that. Mm -hmm. So, and Nigerian politics, I've, I've seen enough to know that Rafai just needs to lie low for three, four years. He will come back and people would even forget. Mm -hmm. And they will now tell us that, oh, he was he was fantastic and he deserves to get the job. So. <laughs> Nigeria is quite a place. Uh, yeah. and what, do you, what are your last words you have for Nigerians prior to these elections? Well, truth be told, I think... The only thing that can make the country better is all of us holding our leaders to account at every level. So whoever wins, we must not lose our voices. Even, at, even if Atiku wins, be ready to fight him verbally for every single promise. I'll say everybody should keep a copy of the manifesto, of, of his manifesto in their bedrooms and keep him accountable for every single promise. But for the four years or eight years, whatever uh, period Atiku is in office, he must never be allowed to rest. We must put his feet to the fire until I, the day's term ends. I, I would like to echo those sentiments. And I think I what I just wish is a peaceful election period. I hope that no Nigerian has to lose his or her life for for these elections. And I really do pray that the people's wishes are what is announced by uh, uh, INEC. And hopefully, hopefully, people decide to reward failure with an exit. And Buhari is not rewarded with another time. <laughs> I um, hope so too. Going going forward. Yeah. And with that said, I wish you all safety and peace of mind during these elections. Please vote as you wish. Vote your conscience. 
and make your choice. Don't if they offer you money, take it. But still, vote <laughs> your conscience. Don't take money from I politicians. You, you tell poor people not to take money. You're a wicked person. Don't take their money. Just, tell them vote your to conscience. shove it up there. What's the hell is that? What's that rapper in Nigeria? Shove it up, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just vote your conscience, and I wish you peace and security during during these elections. And we will catch you post elections to review and analyze all the machinations. Um, God be with you. Take care of yourself and each other, and we'll catch you next time. Say bye bye, Michael. Farewell, listeners. All right, take care. Peace. <laughs>